Welcome to Hidden Growth, where I'm gonna share with you the unfiltered version, the good, the bad, the ugly, the humiliating, the vulnerable, but the truthful story of me building and selling three companies, getting beat up in business, having some success while keeping my marriage together, going from surviving to thriving, and raising five beautiful kids along the way. I hope you're ready. You've probably never heard anything like this before. Let's go. What's up, Quick Talk? Welcome back to Hidden Growth, sneak peek inside chunk of Hidden Growth given to you for free on the podcast. Uh, today we're going to talk about when I first started my real business and the stupid ignorant things I did, what I learned from it and how it can help you. There's so much more though I cannot emphasize to you. You need to get the full version of Hidden Growth. It's totally free and you can get it by signing up for the Family Legacy Initiative training. It's a 60 minute training for entrepreneurial families. If you haven't done it yet, what are you waiting for? Go get it and you get a free copy of Hidden Growth as well, which has so much more juicy stuff in it than what I'm sharing on the podcast. Uh, it's amazing. Go to honorandfire.com forward slash FLI. That stands for Family Legacy Initiative, F-L-I, honorandfire.com forward slash F-L-I, and sign up. I hope you enjoy this third inside sneak peek. Part five, launching my first real business. For me, after I got married at 20 years old to Ashley, I'd say the period of 20 years old to 25 years old was kind of flying by the seat of my pants. However, I didn't feel a lot of pressure that I was doing anything wrong. I didn't feel any fear like I was I was taking my life in the wrong direction. Um, as I said in the previous section, I had tried all these little business things. I, I still believed that I was made for greatness, that God had a call on my life. I could do all this stuff, but I was young. You know, it's like you're young. It's no big deal. You know, it was just me and Ashley. We'd spend our time, you know, going out to eat and watching DVDs and hanging out together. It's funny now having five kids. I often think back of that time and <laughs> and I ask my wife, "What did we do all day? Right? Like, how did we? We, we must have had so much time." right? But we're always busy doing something. And so the big shift between ages 20 and 25 in summary was when my wife got pregnant with our first son, Maverick. Now this was a big deal. To give you some context, here's what happened. Uh, around the age of 20 or 21, I got a job working for a window cleaner. And this was my first stint leaving the pizza thing since high school. But this guy had this massive company cleaning windows. At least to me, it was massive at the time. I had never even heard of such a thing. I couldn't believe people paid money for that. And I thought that's what homeless people did on the street corners, like in cities. But it turns out it's a real business. It's actually a very profitable business. And so I worked for this guy for four months. His name was Frank. And Frank had uh, a lot of accounts, mostly commercial window cleaning. Uh, but let me tell you a little bit about Frank. Frank was a diabolical, wicked, selfish person. <laughs> he was a bad person. And I remember working for him, watching the way that he talked to his wife and watching the way he talked to his kids and the, and the arrogance he had and the swag. And, and I was kind of conflicted because he, he had some nice things and I wanted those nice things. And I was really intrigued by the business. But at the same time, it felt kind of gross watching this guy operate. I only worked for Frank for four months. And before I quit, 
he actually took me to Austin, Texas. And he took me because he liked me. I had this entrepreneurial bug. I asked lots and lots of questions all the time. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, we, we ask lots of questions and we enjoy sharing with other young entrepreneurs that ask questions. So he, he took a liking to me and he, he took me to Austin, Texas because he had just bought a yacht. Yes, that's right. A window cleaner was buying a yacht. Frank had bought a 61-foot yacht. It was three bedrooms, two bath, and it was this huge thing. Now, it was it was used. It was from the 1980s, but it was in great condition, and it was, uh, it was currently at Lake Travis, which is a beautiful place in Austin, Texas. Anyway, so I go down there with him, and I'm asking him questions, and I find out that he paid $180,000 for this boat. And to me, I'm like, wow, like what? Like cleaning windows? I'd already been doing it for four months. I could see the dollar signs. I could see the opportunity. I thought, this is the ticket. This is the deal. And I ended up quitting uh, working for him, partially because he was just a, a mean, grumpy, terrible person, <laughs> but partially because I could see the writing on the wall. I could print my own flyers. I could knock my own doors. I could go out and sell accounts and do it all myself. And this is actually a really common thing in this business. I think in a lot of service businesses, there's some of the employee turnovers because you get these little baby entrepreneurs in as employees. They, they see kind of the big picture and in, in bail and want to do it on their own. What they don't understand is that building a business has a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of expense. It takes a lot of time. It's a whole giant, huge thing, as you well know listening to this. But I just dove right in. So what happened was uh, I started doing pretty good. I remember sitting Indian style on the floor of my trailer with my wife next to me. I had papers all over the coffee table and I'd sit on the carpet and I'd be scribbling, trying to figure out, all right, I'm quitting working for Frank. I left the pizza thing. Like I'm ready to do this. I'm going to crush life. I'm going to, I'm going to buy a $180,000 yacht. And I was, uh, but I was stuck. There was this math problem that was stressing me out. And the math problem that was stressing me out was trying to figure out a way to make $500 a week. That's about what I made delivering pizza. It's about what I made working for Frank. And I just wanted to start off with how can I get four people, four residential customers to pay me $125 each to clean their windows. If I could just get four of those every week, I could be free. I would be an entrepreneur. I, I would have a real business that I could grow and I'd replace my income. But I, I would get nervous and I'd be thinking about it. I'm like, man, four customers a week, that's not gonna be easy. Like crap, you know, and I'm scribbling over here and I'm like scribbling numbers over there. And it's so funny looking back, but it wasn't funny at the time. It wasn't funny. It was a really serious, heavy thing. So I, I launched my business and I got up to about 200 customers. This is over the course of a couple of years. I got up to 212 customers. And then I got an opportunity. You see, with my window cleaning business, the same type of thing started to happen that happened with my internet scams and all the little small business opportunities I had tried previously. Now I had more endurance. I went two years doing this window cleaning thing, but the same old problem reared its ugly head. It started to get hard. I was stuck. The most money I had made was like $24,000 in one of those years <laughs> cleaning windows. <laughs> which to be fair was more than I made delivering pizza, but I knew that it wasn't very good and I didn't know what to do and it got hard. So what did Josh like to do when things got hard? Josh liked to quit. Josh loved to start new things. And I think 
If you ask yourself, is that true for you? Is it easy for you to get caught up in opportunities and ideas and other people's success and say, man, now that, now that's the ticket. I, I should just be doing that. If I just did that business, everything would be okay. When of course the reality is, is that all business is difficult and there are good and bad opportunities, but all business is difficult. I didn't have the maturity still to see that. So I got the opportunity to go work for Quicken Loans. They're a mortgage company. And this would have been my first real job. So I go down for an interview. It was the classic sales job interview. They asked me to sell the pencil to them. You know, like, here's a pen, here's a pencil. You sell me this pen or pencil. Somehow I made it through the interview and they hired me. And I was going to be a mortgage banker. And what that meant for that company and really for the industry in, in a lot of cases is I would work in a gigantic call center and I'd call leads, hundreds and hundreds of people a day, and I would be thoroughly trained in how to get them to get a mortgage with us and we'd make a big fat commission. The training at Quicken Loans lasted like six weeks. It was almost two months. And by the time training was over, it was so difficult that like 60% of the people that had got hired on hadn't even didn't even keep showing up. They had left before they finished training. They had us cold calling the worst leads that Quicken Loans had, and they would record our calls and coach us through the script, which is very detailed, very extensive, and very effective. Quicken Loans is a very successful company. It's actually a really good company to work for. And I learned so much about phone sales and about sales in general. It, it, it changed my life. I learned about how to pre-frame conversations, how, about pacing, about future pacing. I learned about all these things, how to take back control on the phone call, how voice inflection matters, how the tonality matters, how to mirror your customer. I learned a lot of skills that helped me later on. And I was off to a new career. The problem was, is that deep down, I knew that I was an entrepreneur that I wasn't supposed to have a boss. I wasn't supposed to do what everybody else does and have my nine to five job. And part of me started to die inside. Now, like I said, when my cleaning business got hard, I quit because it was hard. And I went chasing the new shiny unicorn, which was this job as a mortgage banker. And I actually made more money than I ever had in my life as a mortgage banker. I had my first $10,000 month selling mortgages and it was like this new level. But what happened was I felt empty inside. I felt nothing after getting that $10,000 a month. It was exciting for a grand total of two seconds. And I, I started to feel the weight of the drudgery of driving 45 minutes in rush hour traffic and sitting in my cubicle with my headset and making hundreds of calls, getting corrected if they thought I did the script wrong and having pointless meetings and then driving 45 minutes back over and over and over. And I wound up lasting just over a year there. And the, the funny thing is, is that my commission checks got bigger every single month I was there consecutively because I was working hard and I was applying what I learned. But at the same time, a piece of me was really starting to, to feel creepy crawly. I wanted to crawl out of my own skin. I didn't like that I had a job. That's when my old pizza guy, Lowell, gave me a call. Now, Lowell had since sold his pizza, his Domino's Pizza franchise and became a branch manager of a, a bank, of Chase Bank, J.P. Morgan Chase Bank. And he called me. He knew I was doing the sales thing. And he said, Josh, I want you to be a personal banker for me at Chase Bank. So I said yes, even though it was less money because it was right next to my house. It was in my hometown. There was no more rush hour drive. Now, I, I still knew that I didn't want a job, but I decided to, to take this opportunity. And what happened 
Long story short is that I got fatter and fatter and fatter. I got depressed and then more depressed and then more depressed. Then I started getting angry. I started being mean to my wife. I started looking at pornography at levels I never had before. I started drinking at levels I never had before. You know, between the ages of maybe 18 and, and 23, drinking was just this silly, fun thing I did with my buddies. And it was starting to develop into something much more than that. And the reason looking back is clear. It's because I wasn't in momentum. It's because I was living this life of quiet desperation. It's because I didn't know what I wanted. I hadn't come to terms with the fact that I needed to go do hard things and build a company and, and, and do something I could be proud of instead of continuously quitting things when they got hard and how that had weighed down on my self-identity and, and I became more and more insecure. You know, I went from the, the, the guy who could fight and beat up anybody to the high school quarterback guy to a fat, lifeless rude, mean husband. And I would go home every day and my wife, as gracious, as gracious as she is, would tolerate it. But I could start to tell that things were getting bad on her end too, that maybe she was reaching her capacity limit <laughs> for tolerating this pathetic shell of a man. Because that's exactly what I was. I would come home from work at, at, from Chase Bank, fat, eating huge amounts of calories at lunch, huge amounts of calories on the way to work, huge amounts of calories all night, drinking beer all night, smoking cigarettes in my garage, talking on my phone to my friends, pretending that it was important just to avoid real life, avoid facing uh, my wife and facing my own destructive behaviors and my own failure. And this went on and on and on and it finally reached its head. I had the argument of all arguments with my wife. It was more than an argument. It was game over argument. It was we're getting divorced argument. It was I'm done argument. I remember uh, I had been drinking and we were, we were screaming at each other. Well, mainly me screaming at her, but she was crying and upset and getting loud too. And this was the first and only time, thank God, that I physically intimidated my wife. I got so out of control I had like ran up to her and put my chest on her chest and looked down at her with this rage in my eyes and I scared her. And in the moment, I didn't care that I scared her. In the moment, my anger and rage at the universe conspiring against me and she didn't understand what I was going through. And I, I went to work every day for our family and how dare you, you know, blah, blah, blah. Our sex life had been horrible, absolutely terrible. She was using sex as a weapon to, to passively tell me how much she disapproved of our life. And for me to crawl in bed at one in the morning after drinking and smoking and think that my fat, disgusting body deserved some sort of magical sex with her was just delusional. But that's where I was at this time. Now, I stormed out of the house that night, drunk, and I drove my car really fast all over the place, up and down dirt roads, screaming, feeling sorry for myself. But then I got scared. And the reason I got scared is because for years, the, the previous years, I had always been able to manipulate Ashley. I had always been able to make her feel sorry enough for me 
that I could extend the timeline on getting away with something or, you know, not taking responsibility for something. I could emotionally get her in a place where she would feel bad for calling me out on my thing because my sacrifice was so great. And how dare you not support me? And, and, and I, I had a way with words, especially after learning phone sales and persuasion and all these things. And, and she would end up apologizing to me, but not tonight, not this night. She was done. She told me she was done and that she was moving out the next day. Now, to make this part brief, the bottom line is, is that the, there's only one reason that I'm still married. And it's the grace of God. It's the fact that through all of our imperfection and the massive amount of imperfection on my end, I still had a relationship with Christ. And I was in disobedience and things were out of control and I was totally out of whack. But I still had, you know, the Holy Spirit speaking to me and and convicting me. Thank God. And so did my wife. We ended up reconciling and, and kind of slowly, awkwardly moving forward. And over the course of that next year, she got pregnant. Now, nothing really fundamentally had changed. We just had an argument that was so bad that I think it scared both of us. And uh, But when she got pregnant, things were really, really about to shift for me, and of course for her, and big time for our business. And I'll share that story in the next, next section. It's when I relaunched my window cleaning business, Birds Beware, except this time things were different. Part six, Birds Beware 2.0. I remember when I relaunched Birds Beware, how excited I was because I felt so much more equipped, so much more mature. I had a baby on the way. I had all this two two plus years of experience with mortgage banking and, and working as a personal banker. And I had certificates and little things I had earned, you know, doing those jobs. And one of the first things we did when we relaunched Birds Beware, because if you remember, I had actually done that business for two seasons, kind of dabbling with without much direction or, or any idea what I was doing before I went into the corporate world. But I had built my business up to 212 customers. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to start back out with 212 customers. That's not so bad. I'm going to reach back out to them and at least we'll have a foundation. I'll have some runway, some financial runway to get this thing off the ground. And this time I'm equipped. This time I'm ready. So my wife and I took TV trays And we sat on our couch and we filled out these letters and we hand addressed them, 212 of of them. And I remember the number specifically because (laughs) this was such a significant thing. And we mailed out these letters thinking, ah, we did it. I'm an entrepreneur again. Now I can be happy. Life will be magical. And uh, and then uh, disappointment came. Out of the 212 customers, I got six of them to hire me back. That's right, six. I don't know what the percentage is on that, but it's less than 3%, right? Less than 3% of my actual original customers hired me back. Maybe they moved, maybe they, I did a bad job. I don't know why, but that was the reality. And that only gave me a couple days worth of runway, not a couple months worth of runway. So instantaneously, the pressure was on. Now, I still stayed optimistic and I started doing some hard things. I started knocking doors. I started getting some work. I started going after it certainly with more aggression and seriousness than I had before because my capacity had increased. 
And one of the things I think all of us, when we look back at our life, anybody that's achieved anything is you look back and you can see these periods of time where your capacity increased. Not like your capacity for how much revenue you do per month in your business. I mean your personal mental capacity, your ability to carry the weight of stress. Some of you that are listening to this will have a certain amount of stress. And to you, it's like the weight of the world on your shoulders. But, you know, I could swap you out with a different person who's already went through that and blown past the stage that you're at. And I could put the exact same weight of your current situation, the weight of the world, I could put that on their shoulders and they wouldn't even notice that it was there. And it's because they have a larger capacity. Of course, the way that you get larger capacity is by continuously stepping outside your comfort zone, taking risk, failing, having grit, getting up and never ever quitting. And during those dark times is when you're actually increasing your capacity. Maybe for you, you're increasing your capacity right now and you don't even know it. So it was nothing legendary, but it was noticeably bigger, probably because of the responsibility of having a corporate job, of more structure in my life, of making more money than I had before, and especially the fact that I had a baby on the way. Now, the first year was terrible. We almost starved to death. I didn't have a lot in savings to begin with because even when I was making money, we had bought a new house and I was spent it. I spent it on all kinds of things, right? The optimistic young person. No, I'll just make more money later. So we ran out of money very, very quickly. We had to live on beans and rice, as Dave Ramsey would say. And it got so bad after the first two years that I had to take these winter jobs, you know, just to survive. And we were barely even doing that. I mean, this is the time, if you follow the other you know, content I put out, this is during this first two years of our relaunch when we had a car repossessed. We had our basement flooded because I couldn't pay the electric bill. The electricity got shut off and it ruined everything in our basement. There was water everywhere and it ruined everything. And this is also the time when my wife went to buy groceries with Maverick, our son. He was an infant and uh, her, credit, her debit card was declined because there was no money in the account. And she called me crying, embarrassed from the parking lot of the grocery store. And I felt like an effing failure. I felt, I don't know if there's another thing that's happened in my life where there is more shame and more disgust with myself than, than that moment when my wife called me crying and humiliated as dozens of strangers watched her ask the cashier, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, can you run the card again? There must be a mistake, you know? Can you run it again? Oh, oh, okay. And then had to walk out, you know, the walk of shame, leaving you know, $200 worth of groceries on the conveyor belt and just leave. That was a dark day. It was also a wake-up call to me. And this was the beginning of me slowly learning to bring my wife into the fold on the business stuff. You know, I had demanded that she, you know, blindly support what I was doing. That because I felt serious this time, things would be different and she should just take that at face value and follow me into the sunset. But yet, she didn't even know that there was no money in our account because I had painted a picture that wasn't true to her. She had no idea what was going on. I was still drinking at this time. I was still not healthy, although I had lost weight because working outside cleaning windows makes you lose weight. However, even if you're skinny, that doesn't mean you're healthy, does it? I was certainly not healthy. I was smoking still, uh, drinking still. It wasn't as dark and out of control as before, but it was still a major 
major problem. And for the first, first two and a half years of the relaunch, things were bad and hard. And it was year two and a half when I discovered the concept of business systems. I've talked about this so much on my podcast and on different webinars I do. Uh, this is a big turning point for us. I was browsing some online internet forums and I came across this community of other cleaning businesses and my head exploded because I'm like, what? There's other people? I can talk to them? Like they'll relate to like the things I'm going through. I can learn and get tips and tricks and life hacks and all this stuff. And I, I, I got obsessed and I read everything on there. And then I started realizing that there are a lot of people making a lot of money cleaning windows, but not Josh, not me. And there is this one post by a guy named Kevin Dabrowski. This is years ago. And he talked about how he had his first $30,000 month cleaning windows. And when I read it, I got angry, which is weird because it was like midnight. I'm in my, my basement, like on the computer, reading all these threads in this forum. And I'm mad because I think he's lying because that's impossible. As hard as I've been working... I, th that is not possible. It's mathematically impossible. You cannot make $30,000 cleaning windows in a month. That can't happen. Screw you, Kevin. You're a liar. That was my mindset. And then I started reading the comments under his comment or under his post. And people were saying things like, oh, that's awesome, man. Way to go. And someone else said, man, I remember the first time I had my first $30,000 a month, Kevin. Keep at it, buddy. You'll get, you're doing great. And then there was another one and another one. And I started to think, oh my gosh, wait, what? He's not like, how are they all, are they all lying? Well, no, they're not all lying. So then I went from anger and I went into like denial. Like, well, you know, uh, maybe in his market, you know, things are different in his market. It was easier for him and his circumstance, things were easier. Long story short, I had a wake up call that the upside of this business was a lot bigger than I had really been thinking as I had been grinding it out for two and a half years, having cars repossessed and failing. And I started learning more about systems. <clears throat> There's a famous book called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Everybody that has a business has pretty much heard of that book. And it talks about systemizing your business. I was exposed to that book. I started reading other books. I started following Chris Lambertini's who had a $3 million window cleaning business. I started learning that everything they were doing was intentional and strategic. And the tactics were thought out in advance and the way that they sold stuff and the prices that they got and the way that they hired people, the way that they looked at their numbers and measured things like metrics and key performance indicators. This was all flooding into my brain, like unfiltered. And I had the epiphany of all epiphanies. And during that third year of business, the business tripled just like that. And it tripled because I had like an elementary understanding of the concept of systems. I had never looked at it like that before. I didn't understand what that meant, but something clicked. And between year three and year like seven, during those four years, there was nothing but just unadulterated growth all over the place. I took on a business partner named Chris Phillips. He's my business partner to, to this day in more than one company. He's like my brother from another mother. He came in to take over a lot of operational stuff so I could focus on sales. We started assembling a team. We started marketing relentlessly and ruthlessly at a level I never would have thought before. I started to learn things. I learned that real success in business has to do with building other people up and not just yourself. I started learning that building a team is, is the real goal. 
and that the real game is learning how to pay for that team and how to use sales and marketing to, to, to handle the growth of the team. And if you can play that game and walk that razor's edge, that that's more or less how you grow your company is an obsession with sales and an obsession with people. All businesses are just a series of relationships, you know, people stacked up and a series of, you know, math problems stacked up. Those are really the two types of problems that you should be solving at all times if you're growing. Anyway, we built a great team and we started having some success and we had our first $30,000 a month had our first $50,000 a month, had our first $100,000 a month, had our first $150,000 a month, and things were going good. I got so obsessed with systems that um, I was barely working in the business at all. In fact, I was working less than five hours a week in this cleaning company, and it's it was like I finally broke through. I finally had succeeded at a significant level. And I feel like I had expertise. I felt like I knew things. I felt like my life had changed because I had. I'm going to tell you some of the other parts to the story uh, in addition to just the general success and things like that. There's a couple of significant things that I never really share. Number one was the importance of my first two hires. Now, if you've never hired an employee, it's a major scary thing to do. It's not scary at all after you've done it a lot. But when it's your first time, it is a big, heavy weight. And I didn't even know how to post a job recruitment ad. I didn't know how to do anything. And one thing that people don't know about my story is my first two hires were the result of prayer. You know, around the same time, year two and a half to year three, I had a major breakthrough in my relationship with Christ, in my walk with God. And I had decided to just go all in. I started realizing that God could literally be my business partner, that my calling was business, that business was like a ministry, literally, that I had influence over the people working for me, that, that I could do something really big with this, that I could you know, build wealth and be radically generous and do all this stuff. And, and I finally started to get some things in alignment there. I stopped drinking, I stopped smoking, I, I was much more healthy. My relationship with my wife was better. We started implementing family systems during this time. Lots and lots of family systems, you know, um, in, inside of Honor and Fire, which is my wife and I's movement for entrepreneurial families. Uh, we talk about a lot of this stuff. And this is really the genesis. Out of that pain, out of that brokenness, we started to apply this systems idea to our family and our business. But I also realized that one of the reasons I had success was the Tom Sawyer effect. And my business partner, Chris, would always call me Tom Sawyer. He's like, Josh, you can get other people to paint the fence for you and, and like it. <laughs> and he's talking about the Tom Sawyer story where, you know, Tom has to paint this fence and it's going to take all day and he doesn't want to do it. and It's terrible. And so he convinces these other kids that painting is the coolest thing ever. And he gets them to paint the fence for him because they think they're having like a fun little cool thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> anyway, if you want to grow your company, one of the takeaways here in this section is figuring out how to uh, inspire the people around you, not manipulate the people around you. I had gotten pretty good at that. I'm talking about genuine, service-based, real caring. How do you inspire people to do more, to be more? How do you call people out, but also be compassionate? Like, How do you manage those relationships? That's the key. With business partners, oftentimes the reason that business partnerships don't work a lot of the time 
is because when we get a business partner, we're looking for someone to save the day. Or when you hire an employee, you're looking for someone to stop the chaos. And the, the truth is, is that no one's going to stop the chaos. You have to stop the chaos. And when you bring on a partner or an employee, you need to do it from a position of strength, uh, from health. Your business needs to be healthy. You need to be healthy. you got to have a plan and a mission and a strategy. you got to have energy. You have to have so much motivation and energy and, and extra juice that the people around you can, can, can <laughs> live off the leftovers that you're producing. And uh, I, I just think that's really important to realize. I had also gotten away from pornography and, and just the fear started to subside. I mean, it is a true thing that when you're financially destitute, the fear can overtake you, the fear can paralyze you. But I can tell you uh, from my experience and my pain that the path out of that is through massive imperfect action regarding sales and building a team. You gotta have good people around you and you gotta sell like a ruthless crazy maniac. Because the people in your market, they need your stuff. They just don't know that you exist. So the last two years I owned Birds Beware, like I said, I was working less than five hours a week and I started to get bored. I started to get bored. The business was working. Uh, to me, it was this huge thing, right? Like this is just this unbelievable success story. In reality, it wasn't some gigantic, huge company, but you got to understand my mindset. It was a really big deal, right? It was like, wow, I did it. Hey, I did it. <laughs> it could have been 20 times bigger than it was, but to me, it's like, I did it. I arrived. So I started experimenting with giving back. That forum where I had learned all that value from, I went back on that forum, but this time to give my own expertise, my own uh, lessons that I had learned over the last five to seven years after I had implemented systems. I started correcting people and sharing things with people and explaining things with people and helping people for free because it was really fun. And I would make posts and I'd be all inspired and I'd say, you got to do this and it's like this and here's what I learned. And more and more people started to follow me on there and started to message me. And then they started to call my office and then people would mail me a letter and then it started to snowball. And as silly as it sounds, inside this weird window cleaning microcosm of the world, uh, I started to have a little bit of influence in that space. Now, I wasn't really prepared for that. I was just trying to help. Well, eventually the help got, the, the request for help became way too much. So I decided to create my first information product called Window Wealth. It's not a really <laughs> available these days, but I wrote an ebook and put together some videos and I sold it. And so people that needed help, I said, listen, buy Window Wealth. It has everything I did on there, um, you know, without really realizing what would happen. I thought maybe it'd just be an easy way to sell a hundred of them or something. Well, we ended up selling tons of them all over the world and it, it got crazy. We sold tens of thousands of dollars worth of this little ebook with these videos and that was the beginning of me starting to help other people. And at the same time, I started investigating how I might launch a software company, which I'll talk about next, uh, called Send Gym. Uh, that's when I got a call from California of a guy asking to, to sell our business to him and we decided to take him up on the offer. Birds beware, this crazy story of living in a trailer park as a pizza guy, doing it for two years, and then going into the corporate world and getting so fat, my face was so swollen, it looked like if you put, touched my face with a pin that it would pop. Getting so unhealthy and depressed and, and drunk and just angry and almost getting divorced and relaunching Birds Beware. 
and then struggling still for two and a half years, having our car repossessed, and then figuring out systems, and most importantly, learning that having a big result in this business was possible. You know, from year three to seven, it it worked, and it was exciting. And then the last two years when I was bored, um, I got my next big opportunity, and it was to sell this company and to go on to the next thing. I had been selling my window well thing. I had some ideas on what I might do. And so we took them up on their offer, and we sold the business.